In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all those kids and teens up through the 11th grade please come forward. That wasn't going to come out of my mouth. Good morning. How's everybody? Who are you today? Who are you today? Uh, Bodie. Bodie? Yeah. Yeah, you're Bodie. So if I were to ask your mom, who's this? Oh, that's Bodie's. He's my favorite child. Yeah, Yeah, you are. Right? How many brothers and sisters do you have? It's a dog. <laughs> yes, and, and, and if I were to ask your teacher who you are, what would she say? Francisco. She'd say, ah, oh, this is Francisca, my favorite student, the smartest girl in the class. Mm-hmm. You think she would say that? <laughs> yeah. Who do you say that I am? That's a gospel today. Look, I've got something on. What is that called? A ring. Does it signify anything? Does it tell you anything about me? What? That I'm married. That I belong to someone and they belong to me, right? And that we both belong to God together. It means I'm married. I'm not single. People who have wedding rings on have committed their life together with another person and only one person. So that tells... If I were to say, what do you know about Father Stan? Well, you could say, well, he's married. Right? You could say that. Who do you say that I am? You have great jokes. I have great, thank you. I have great jokes. You could say that about me too. <laughs> That's right. Um, Jesus, said, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And people answered, you know, all different kinds of things. And then he turned to his disciples and asked them, who do you say that I am? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because it makes a huge difference in your life if you have the right answer. It also makes a huge difference in your life if you have the wrong answer. Right? So we need to know who Jesus is. And the scriptures are very clear about it. And in our prayers, um, we certainly receive revelation about who Jesus is, right? And when we talk to, when we're in Sunday school or Christian education classes, we learn about who Jesus is. And so it means a whole lot to us. It can change our lives if we know the right answer to that question. And Peter answered it that day. He said, you are the Messiah or the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so he already began to reveal to us that that Jesus is connected with God. And as we know in the church, Jesus is equal with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one God. Somehow that works that way. 
And it's a truth about God. And when we know that truth, it can change our lives until the day we die and then forever and ever. If we don't know that truth, it can change our lives and then forever and ever in a different way. That's why we need to know that truth. And that's why we need to live that truth and serve that truth because it makes a difference in our lives. Okay? All right? Thank you. Okay? Okay. Thank you all for coming up here. If you all want to get a packet, if you want to color, you can go get a packet and color, okay? Yeah? You can? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. So, I have a list of the seven top signs that your pastor needs a vacation. The seventh on the list is that his first words to the congregation on Sunday morning are, all right, listen up, you heathen. The number six sign that your pastor needs a vacation, he falls asleep during his own sermon. The number five reason is that he shows up for Sunday services wearing Bermuda shorts and a tank top. The number four reason why your pastor needs a vacation is every time his smartphone notifications ding, he shouts, why can't they just leave me alone? Number three, I've done that. Number three, <laughs> number three reason, but I don't need a vacation because it's wonderful right now. Number three, announces that the baptismal service will be down at the Grand Canyon. Number two, you go to his office for counseling and you pour your heart out to him. And he says, sounds like a personal problem to me. <laughs> and the number one sign for your, that your pastor needs a vacation is for the past two months, he has preached the very same sermon every Sunday. There was a second grade teacher explaining the concept of rules and she asked the students what rules their parents might give before taking them out to a restaurant and the first child offered up don't play with your food and the second child said use your inside voice oh I've said that many times and the third child popped up order something cheap <laughs> I've used all three of those actually with my grandkids. This past week as I came into the church to say my prayers, I had the very special intention of not saying a single word to God. I came only to listen. The church was somewhat darkened with the early morning shadows and there I sat right there on the front pew in the stillness of the dawn, waiting for my mind to slow down, waiting for the distractions to slowly disappear. I'll be sure to call this person today. No, go away. Don't forget to register for that event next month. No, go away. What if the phone is ringing in the office? I can't hear it. No, go away. Lots of distractions. Finally, my mind quit racing every way. Silence began to creep into my soul. Okay, God, I'm listening. 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you what I want or what I need. I'm not going to pray for anyone else at this time. I'm just here to listen in front of the Blessed Sacrament, just to be in your presence. And then I figured out that I was still talking to God. So I let go. And I heard the question come to me in a very personal way. Stan, who do you say that I am? And yes, of course, I had read the gospel for today. And yes, I had been preparing for this sermon for today. But the question became very real to me. Who do you say that I am? And I sat there in silence for quite a while thinking, you are the Lord. You are the Lord. But I also began to realize that in my relationship with God, I oftentimes behave as if I were the Lord, treating him as my servant. The voice of God's spirit within me helped me to understand that I had often reversed the roles in our relationship, telling God that I expected this or that, telling him to bless this or that person, almost demanding his grace in this or that situation. I began to realize that I was always telling God what to do. And if he is to be my Lord, then I have to sit back and I have to listen to what he wants me to do. In this morning's gospel reading, Jesus asks the disciples what they've heard about him. And he's already asked what the public thinks about him, and the disciples have answered that. Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah or the prophet. The people are not sure just who Jesus is, but they clearly believe that he has within him the seeds of greatness. They've heard his words, they've seen his works, they are hoping that he is the one, the one for whom they have waited all these years, the one who will deliver them from the hands of the Romans, the one who will make Israel great again. And so now that the disciples have given Jesus the public opinion, he asks their opinion. Who do you say that I am? A question like that doesn't leave the disciples much wiggle room. Who do you say that I am? And I can imagine the disciples standing around Jesus trying to figure out how to answer, avoiding eye contact with Jesus, looking down at the ground, hemming and hawing. But Peter, he came to the rescue. Good old Peter. You can be sure that Peter would never hem or haw. Peter was the kind of guy who would jump out of a perfectly good boat to walk on the water to Jesus. Peter was the kind of guy who, though hopelessly outgunned, would draw his sword to protect Jesus. Peter was the kind of guy who always had an opinion. Peter was one of those guys who was often wrong, but never uncertain. You know the kind of person I'm talking about. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? So how did Peter answer? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ. You are the son of the living God. 
And in his answer, Peter was saying a whole lot about Jesus. He was saying that he knew Jesus was, was more than John the Baptist, was more than one of the prophets, was more than the great prophet Elijah. He knew Jesus was connected with God himself in some way. So Peter calls Jesus Savior, Lord, Son of God. Peter knew that Jesus was unique. Peter knew Jesus was more than a man with just dirty hair and wrinkled face and dusty feet and dirty clothes. More because this man, Jesus, who was at the same time God, had changed him, Peter. Had come to make Peter see things in a different way. Peter was coming to trust and believe that in Jesus there was more. There was more. Maybe he didn't know what that more was exactly, but he knew there was more. Peter saw past the man and he saw the divinity hidden in Jesus. And so he cried out, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter nailed it. He might be wrong sometimes, but this time he was right. He answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responded by blessing him and pronouncing him chief rabbi of the church, if you will, giving him the keys to the kingdom, which is not bad. That's great. Now, I will have to say that when Peter said that Jesus was the Messiah, he was probably thinking of the Messiah as a great warrior like King David of old, a man who would make Israel great once again, a man who would drive out the Romans and give Israel its freedom once again. However, the words, you are the Messiah, meant something different to Jesus. We don't see that in our text today, but we will see it next week when Jesus tells the disciples that he will have to suffer and to die. That is clearly not what Peter meant when he said, you are the Christ or the Messiah. And Peter will protest when Jesus introduces the cross. But again, that's a story for next week. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, that really is the central belief of the Christian faith. When we say that, we are affirming our belief that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save the world from its sin, who came to save us from our sin. You know, I went to my files this past week on my computer to see what people had to say about Jesus and I'd like to share some of them with you. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Richard Halverson, who was for many years the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, he answered this way. He said, Jesus Christ is God's everything for man's total need. He is God's everything for our total need. There's no problem so great that God cannot help, no place so remote that God cannot visit. Through bad, through good, God is with us. Through life, through death, God is with us. 
Jesus is God's everything for our total needs. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Samuel Rutherford was a 17th century Scottish clergyman. He was a great preacher, but he kind of got into trouble. He got on the bad side of the church authorities and he found himself in, himself in exile and quite lonely. But listen to what happened. He said, Jesus Christ came into my prison cell last night and every stone flashed like a ruby. And it wasn't that Christ freed Rutherford from his exile. Rutherford was still isolated and lonely, but Christ transformed his last years to fruitful years. Rutherford began writing letters to his flock, and those letters from exile inspired Christians for generations. Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Dorothy Day was the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, a woman who devoted her whole life to serving the poor and the vulnerable, feeding them, even housing them in her own apartment. Her guests would see the crucifix on the wall and they would expect her to impose some kind of a sermon on them as a price for the meal. They were surprised when she just fed them without requiring any kind of payback. And Dorothy Day, she became famous but she never gave up her place in the soup line. To those who claim to learn from Jesus but question his divinity, and there are a lot of people in the world today who want to learn from Jesus, but they don't believe he is divine. Dorothy Day had this to say about that. You cannot have Christian principles without Christ. You cannot have Christian principles without Christ. She was saying that it wasn't Christ's teachings that were the key to his greatness. It was Christ himself. That was an important statement given Dorothy Day's lifelong devotion to serving the poor because sometimes Christians get so caught up in their Christian service that they forget who Christ is. In some places, the church seems little more than a service a social service agency. In those places, Christ is remembered only as an example of one who went about doing good. But Dorothy Day, who did more good than most people, said, you cannot have Christian principles without Christ himself. That was her way of saying that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? The great Anglican preacher and hymnist wrote, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks, answered this way. He said, in Christ, all broken lines, they unite. In him, all scattered sounds are gathered into harmony. Brooks was saying that Christ comes into our broken world and puts all the broken pieces back together. Mends our broken pieces so that we can be whole again. Takes the sounds of brokenness, the sirens and the shouts of this world and turns them into music, into harmony. 
Jesus does heal our brokenness. There are many people in this congregation this morning who can testify to that, that Jesus has healed your brokenness. Who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question? Who is Jesus for you? And consider the question carefully. Is Jesus just another good man? Or is he the good man? The Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord, the one who by God's power saves us. Your answer, as I just told the kids, your answer to that question is important because it determines what follows for the rest of your life and thereafter. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him. That doesn't mean that Jesus gave Peter an easy life. Peter the rock found that he would be traveling a whole lot of rocky roads for Jesus. But Peter lived a blessed life on those rocky roads. A life full of purpose. The kind of life where you can hardly wait to get up in the morning to go do what God wants you to do. Peter knew that he was God's man, serving God's purpose by God's mercy, saving lives, changing the world. And so he was truly blessed. But who do you say that I am? Folks, let Jesus be the Lord of your life. And he will bless you. And I can't promise that he will give you an easy life. But I can promise that he will give you a blessed life. A life full of purpose. The kind of life where you can hardly wait to get up in the morning to do what God wants you to do. If you will truly make him the Lord of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.